Thank you for tuning in to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm Janine Strong, and today my guest is Dr. Jack Travis, MD. His real name is John, but he likes Jack, so we'll call him Jack. Dr. Travis decided that rather than treating sick people, he would dedicate his life to inspiring people to be well. He created the Illness Wellness Continuum. Most of us think of wellness in terms of illness and assume that the absence of illness indicates wellness. Today, he's doing everything he can to raise awareness of the great lie about vaccines and educate those whose minds are still open. And hopefully, there are a lot of minds who are still open. Hi, Dr. Travis. How are you today? I'm good, Janine. Hi. Hi. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. I'm going to let you take the conversation where you'd like to go. But I'd like to start with um, your your journey in the healthcare field. How how did you how did you come to all of this? Well, I've I've got that. Um, I'm actually going to use my slideshow as an outline, and I go into that. But I had a, a couple opening comments before I I get into who I am and why. Great. That is that. I believe that vaccines have been weaponized in order to control the populace, mm. and that's what we're confronting right now, that exposing Big Pharma's vaccine agenda is the only way to reveal the lie that only vaccines can save us, which is based on another lie, vaccines are safe and effective. Mm-hmm. So that's my orientation because of my medical background and expertise. Where that leads us, the bigger picture of uh, steps to fascism and the World Economic Forum and the various um, fallout from this vaccine lie, that's something else. But I'm, I'm working on the ground level here to combat what I call vaximania mm-hmm. or uh, the worst stage is cove idiocy. <laughs> It's rampant. It is. And, you know, from my perspective, what now it's what, 72 vaccines are given um, up to the age 18. Uh, To me, it is what this is conveying to people is that we are frail and we are weak and our bodies cannot take care of themselves. And so we need all we need to this dependency, this outside help. Mm hmm which is actually producing far more disease. The three studies that came out just in the last year that show how much healthier vaccine-free children are Mm -hmm. compared to the vaccinated, it's astounding. And that information wasn't available. The very first study was done in 2017, but uh, was small. And now three of them are out, and uh, the CDC refuses to do that. So it's they're actually making as much less healthy and frail. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a turnabout. Mm -hmm. So the problem I encountered when I came back from Australia a little over a year ago into this craziness is that there are many wonderful websites, books, and series of 10 documentaries, but they're so dense and complex that they appeal only to the choir. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue of how do we expand the choir when the uh, learning curve is so high and there's some of the organizations I have a slide that shows pictures of my favorites like Kennedy's Children's Health Defense yes. and then 
Barbara Lowe Fisher's National Vaccine Information Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Dell Bigtree and Paul Thomas's Against the Wind mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. videos, The Truth About Vaccines. Um, some books are Miller's Review of Critical Vaccine Studies. Oh, and, one of my favorites. Yeah. Then um, Paul Thomas's Vaccine Friendly Plan, which when they went to press, they realized they still had too many vaccines in it. <laughs> and, <laughs> Then we have the the videos of uh, 1986 and the two vaxxed uh, documentaries and uh, the other uh, vaccines revealed and the truth about vaccines. But there, you know, like ten videos. Yes, you re- I mean, you really want to. You really have to be like you and I, uh, who are who really love researching and digging deep and and really learning about all of this. But not everybody's like that. Yeah, it's it's so much. Uh, oh, and I, uh, last person I want to mention is Zach Bush. Because yes. He, oh, he's one of my favorites. I love him. Yeah. Uh, he really looks at the bigger picture of um, the yes. terrain theory. So with all that, I uh, often discover that my audience are the choir. They're rarely new to this idea. But my hope is by giving them tools to go out and bring more people into the choir, the simple tool that I'm going to describe that um, my vaccinefacts.info website, which will then allow them to get through the door and to uh, um, know where to go next. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I often then ask how many know the so-called vaccine hesitants, those that are still open to learning anything. And those numbers are growing, I think, from the uh, concern about the uh, side effects. Yeah, well, that's my hope. I mean, it's a shame that more people have to die and more people have to have side effects um, for for people to become open to hearing that, you know, maybe this isn't safe and maybe this isn't what we should be doing. Yeah. Well, then I asked the question, is there a vaccine facts for dummies? <laughs> I looked everywhere. I couldn't find it. So I, and then I tried to collaborate with, uh, people like at Kennedy's organization. I couldn't find anybody that would take the time to do it. So I spent most of the year doing it myself with a lot of good feedback from people. Well, you did a good job. Well, thank you. It's it's an ongoing effort. So then this brings the question of who am I and uh, why would people want to listen to me? So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll fill in my background. I was raised, born and raised in a little town called Bluffton in Ohio, northwestern Ohio. Mm -hmm. My dad was a country doctor as well as surgeon, uh, obstetrician, ophthalmologist. (laughs) He dispensed his own meds. His office visits were a dollar each. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like the true general practitioner. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He doubled it when I went to college in uh, 61 and... uh, (laughs) He once did 16 house calls in one day. Um, So patients would come by the house, or I'd go down to the office sometimes, and they'd ask me, you're going to be a doctor like your daddy when you grow up? And it didn't take long to figure out the answer, right answer to that question. (laughs) So about age five, uh, I decided, well, you know, that'll get me the love and attention that he didn't have the time to give me and my siblings uh, we were born in boom 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 so being the <laughs> oldest child i suddenly was you know dispossessed um mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the child rearing uh, methods of the 50s were, or 40s and 50s were uh, minimal mammalian type behaviors, which led to my second career that I'll talk about in a little while. So I blindly set out on a 28 year path of school. And um, that led to my being a nerd in high school. And uh, I have a picture of me with my science project that uh, my mother took uh, when I went to the state level. I, I actually took a screenshot of it. I'm going to be putting that oh. up. <laughs> <laughs> then um, I, I um, did the chemistry at the College of Worcester, a real tough college, second only to Oberlin in Ohio, where uh, I chose chemistry because it was a ticket to med school, but I didn't much like it. It was pretty intense. That got me into Tufts Medical in Boston, where I was a token wasp out of water with <laughs> cutthroat um, East Coast guys. Then I wanted to get as far away as I could, so I got an internship in San Francisco. And this was this, the year after the Summer of Love. Ah. It was still winding down, and I was a senior at, at, at um, medical school during the um, um, Woods, Woodstock. Mm -hmm. But I missed all that. I knew there was something going on because the class behind me rebelled, and we actually changed the entire curriculum our senior year in medical school became elective ah. and i didn't know what was going on but when i got to san francisco i started discovering it and also discovered that i couldn't write prescriptions for drugs somehow i couldn't remember the doses it just felt wrong every mm. everyone was an ordeal mm -hmm. it seemed like i was masking symptoms with drugs and as well as the fact that we couldn't talk about death. Kubler-Ross was writing Death and Dying, but it wasn't out yet. Ah. Very depressing. I got very depressed during my internship and discovered a residency in preventive medicine at Johns Hopkins through a, a friend of my then wife's, whose brother was the head of the hospital in Baltimore in the public health service. And through the public health service, which would get me out of Vietnam, which was big in 1970. Yes. I had my way paid to a three-year residency at Johns Hopkins in preventive medicine, specializing in um, operations research. So it was there. Uh, I got a master's in public health the first year. That's a requirement. It was pretty boring. I go over to the medical bookstore for a break and peruse. There were just starting to be self-help books. Uh, the Angry Book was the first one I found. Then um, I stumbled one day on a little book called High Level Wellness. It was 10 years old. It was on the clearance uh, cart. It was marked down from $2.95 to $2. Remember when books were cheap? <laughs> yes, I can't believe how expensive they are now. It's like, yeah. oh my God. Even Kindle books now, just in this yeah. last year, I've noticed Kindles are almost as the same price as a paperback would be. And they used to be, yeah. you know, like three bucks. Well, this book, uh, the title, you know, wellness, what's that? I didn't think that word would fly. But he, Albert Dunn, um, MD, PhD, had written it. It was actually a series of 29 radio talks. So Dunn was the founder of the U.S. Department of Vital Statistics in 1935, and he ran it for... 25 years, and nearing his retirement in the late 50s, he came across this word wellness, which is actually hundreds of years old, 
but he coined the term high-level wellness and started writing and publishing about it in uh, the Journal of American Public Health Association and eventually gave these 29 talks uh, on the radio, which were then transcribed into the book published in 1961. So I picked up this book, uh, the, the uh, even though the word wellness put me off, he had a mental, <laughs> emotional, spiritual, as well as physical approach to health. And that blew my mind. It, it was a transformative experience. So I read this book. He was talking about um, uh, people like Maslow and um, uh, humanistic psychologists that were coming along at that point. That led me to cooking up the illness wellness continuum that you mentioned in the introduction. Mm -hmm. The first version I did on a typewriter with press-on letters, and <laughs> there was a um, uh, there were as many degrees of wellness as there were of illness, and they met in the middle at a neutral point when there there's no discernible illness or wellness. And yet, most people think, well, if if I don't have any symptoms, I must be well. And that's what the treatment paradigm can do is fix things. But once there's nothing left to be fixed, then what do you do? Well, you can learn how to take care of yourself, how to uh, approach higher levels of wellness through the steps of awareness, education, and ultimately growth. Mm -hmm. So that was my um, entree into the field. That was 1972 when I first produced that. It's now... Uh, widely used in textbooks and um, uh, health education, um, nursing texts, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Jack, so, can I ask you a question about it? I, I'm just, sure. uh, as, because uh, I'm a retired nurse, so I'm also thinking. So the neutral spot, is that like the absence of illness? And then from there you go to higher levels of wellness? or Yeah. Yeah? The, okay. The stages of illness are... First is, are the signs that only the medical professional can detect, then the symptoms that the patient detects, and then disability that everyone can detect, and then premature death. So that's going to the left of the neutral point. Okay. And those, those are the things that you can fix with a treatment mm -hmm. paradigm. But once they're all fixed, you could still have risk from uh, smoking, drinking, overeating, um, all of the you know lack of exercise, the factors in toxins. Yeah, well, the health risk appraisal was actually my entree into this. I computerized it for the public health service hmm. in 1973. That was my thesis of my residency, and we would run it on people in our multiphasic screening center, and it didn't affect their behavior. It would scare them, but it didn't affect their behavior. They already knew that smoking was bad and that being overweight and so forth. That led then to my producing a wellness inventory in uh, early 1975, which was a, at first 100 questions that related to different aspects of wellness. Uh, it's then evolved through three different versions and paper, and now it's online as a uh, computer program with a... Uh, uh, system that walks you through as a, like a virtual coach. So that was my first entree into real wellness itself. At the same time in 1975, I finished my stint with the public health service 
and fled from Baltimore back to California, where I had lived as an intern in the little town of Mill Valley. And I rented a couple of suites in a brand newly converted uh, downtown. It was a, a Captain Black's sea, uh, he was a sea captain. And uh, uh, a psychiatrist had renovated the house when Mrs. Black fell off the roof in her 90s while cleaning the gutters. <laughs> uh, interesting story there. So I opened the center thinking it would be me and a bio, part-time biofeedback practitioner. And then I ran into a man named Donald Ardell, who was about the only other person that had read Dunn's book. <laughs> and he decided to get a PhD in wellness. And his thesis was then published uh, using the same title, High Level Wellness of Dunn's, with different subtitle. And he wrote about me and Esalen and other places. And suddenly I was cast in the limelight. We had an article in Prevention Magazine that drew a thousand letters, mainly from nurses, mm -hmm. asking how I can get my doctor to look at this. Uh -huh. Is Prevention or, Magazine I, still around? I remember that. Oh yeah, it's so, still going. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And my dad's patients were subscribers to it. They brought it in articles about me and said, is that your son? <laughs> uh, that's how he found out about it. So I then got on the um, 60 Minutes with Dan Rather. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We closed the center because it never was financially viable. We didn't mm. take insurance because we didn't treat uh, or uh, uh, prescribe or diagnose anyone. So um, Dan Rather uh, opens his piece saying wellness now there's a term you don't hear every day <laughs> it was true we had to spell it on the phone when clients would call in for appointments so oh, um, what happened well, i think right after that in the 80s largely due to that and ardell's uh selling it to hospitals is that the word caught on but it got watered down it's still nothing close to what halbert dunn meant in his original work from the 50s so mm -hmm. it's, it's sad to see how the word has been co-opted basically but um this experience of running the center for five years i had 13 staff at one point and i, I knew i wasn't a manager <laughs> i hired <laughs> managers none of whom worked very well with the with our um, staff but it gave me the ability to write a book. I actually did a self-published version of the wellness workbook. We uh, ran it off on uh, uh, copy machines and put it in a three-ring binder. But 10-speed press picked it up in 1981. That was revised again in 88. And third edition was 2004, and we're burnt out. It's still selling, nearly a quarter of a million copies. But that came out of the work. Then... Uh, as my career in adult wellness wound down, actually, that's when I moved to Costa Rica because I thought that the U.S. was bankrupt and didn't look like we were going to survive Reagan. Mm -hmm. But he bailed us out and came back. We worked with helping professionals doing uh, uh, my wife uh, got involved in the feminist spirituality movement. And that's when I learned about patriarchy. And the mm -hmm. partnership model, Rianne Eisler has, was about to publish The Chalice and the Blade and bring all this into awareness that the medical model is a domination model and wellness is a partnership model. Oh, so, interesting. Now that's, okay, so the medical model is a domination model and the wellness model is a partnership model. 
Yeah. I, I have I haven't heard it stated that way before. I really like that. I think that's good to, yeah. for everybody to sink in. Well, we started doing helping uh, preventing burnout in the helping professions and encountered a lot of burnout doctors and nurses. And that's what led to realizing that was the system that was burning them out and teaching them about partnership and creating support groups. And then eventually a friend kept saying, you've got to read The Continuum Concept, this wonderful book by Gene Leadloff. I resisted it for a couple of years, but once I read it and I realized that the way we treat babies led to all the problems we were seeing and addressing in, in wellness. So I realized that infant wellness was much more important, that we were locking the gate after the horse had left. That led to forming the uh, along with Suzanne Arms, who developed the uh, early uh, uh, natural childbirth, we formed this Alliance for Transforming the Lives of Children and put together in 10,000 hours of work the wow. blueprint for the ideal conditions for raising children, which most of us had not experienced either ourselves or right. the children we were raising. <laughs> um, that uh, then led to my realization that having children destroys most marriages in yes. nuclear families because it takes 3.87 adults per infant to meet their needs mm -hmm. and do the math. So yep. we were never meant to raise kids in sing couples or singles. Uh, we need a village or a tribe. So um, mm -hmm. uh, Suzanne's book was called Immaculate Deception. <laughs> and uh, that uh, was my uh, third and fourth careers with uh, issues of we actually have a website uh, connected and thriving that looks at this dynamic of what happens when we have children and what happens to the relationship. Mm -hmm. But in uh, March of 2020, when the COVID thing was just starting, I needed to get back to California for my half the year here and half the year there to avoid winter. And <laughs> As soon as I arrived in the States, I smelled a rat, this mm. weaponization of vaccines. Oh, I forgot to mention that all of these careers in wellness could be summed up in six words. <laughs> the, current, the currency of wellness is connection. Ah, ah. That means my, uh, I'll probably have that on a tombstone if I ever have one. I don't know. Um, and... Um, then in my slideshow, I usually have a little break because this has gotten so heady and it's a, a picture of a couple having dinner and she announces, I just got the vaccine. And the next frame is he says, it's cool that you're so open about your mental illness. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> I mean, I often wonder, you know, really, if people had if they truly were fully informed about the possibilities of what could happen, would they yeah. get it? I think so. I think that we've been misled with a massive media campaign that's done people down, well, not to mention how school has done the same thing of training mm -hmm. people to be passive sheep. I, re I read a, a book in the 60s called A Nation of Sheep, and I think it preceded its time. But uh, mm. what I discovered or, or what I, I want to share next is that I've discovered there's a, a watershed or a divide uh, between two basic worldviews, what 
you could call the conventional worldview, the traditionalists versus the uh, cultural creatives. But in the conventional worldview, people think we live in a democracy, mm-hmm. whereas both of us might have noticed that the corporations took it over quite some time ago, and they're really running the show. Yep. But the belief that uh, pharmaceutical companies are ethical when, in fact, they are serial felons paying on average $3 billion a year in criminal fines and they used to lock up the um, executives, but they don't anymore. So now it's just a cost of doing business, which they readily do because it keeps them in business. Right. And I wonder really how many people know that, that they are I, paying out yeah. these humongous fines and they really are criminal charges. Yeah. Another uh, worldview, conventional worldview is that vaccines have been proven safe, <laughs> whereas the Supreme Court upheld a decision that they are inherently unsafe. That was the whole reason for removing liability with the 1986 uh, 86 Act. Right, right. So, but people don't know that. This mm-hmm. vaccines are safe and effective mantra that's a complete lie uh, is in everybody's uh, subconscious. So the, also the fact that they've been proven effective when many of them are questionable and the side effects, the uh, return on investment uh, is very questionable. Mm-hmm. Then we have the regulatory agencies, WHO, CDC, FDA, the belief that they're serving us and they're not corrupted versus the reality that they've been captured by big uh, pharmacy in this case. Uh, but all the regulatory agencies have been captured by the same people that they're supposed to be regulating. And they very cleverly set that up. Mm-hmm. Another uh, fallacy is that the media are objective versus the fact that they've been bought. You only have to look at a few minutes of TV some night, which I had to do once in a motel. Mm-hmm. The number of pharmaceutical ads. I was astounded. I hadn't seen TV for years, and I had no idea. Then we have the conventional belief that censorship is needed for our protection. Whereas <laughs> the fact that it violates the First Amendment, which has been on hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, I show a graphic that uh, reveals that the pharmaceutical lobbying budget is twice that of any other of the closest second. It's nearly three billion dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, three hundred billion dollars. Wow. And uh, what was that in uh, 2019? Yeah. And I'm sure it's higher now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why should a, why should an industry not be liable for damages that they cause? It's outrageous. I mean, well, if anybody, it, does is that common sense? It's certainly not common sense, but it's built on the fallacy that they are safe and effective. If the truth were known, then we wouldn't even have the industry. And that's what they're the shaky foundations they're trying to uphold. But if they're safe and effective, why would you need to not be liable? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it's a catch-22. So the conclusions on the two sides of these of this watershed divide is the conventional worldview has concluded that anti-vaxxers are evil, and the alternative worldview realizes that the research doesn't support the conventional narrative so anti-vaxxing, which is really usually a vaccine choice, 
is supported by science, whereas the conventional worldview is not. And then you have conspiracy deniers, the people who refuse to believe that we're not being conned all over the place when we have massive amounts of evidence of how uh, the sociopaths are running the show and we're basically um, at their mercy. Hmm. So it makes sense, depending on your, your fundamental beliefs, which w w the conclusions you come to, getting to the underlying beliefs is the key. I mean, I was in the conventional campground years ago, but I I try to keep an open mind and uh, I like to research and I like to understand yeah. what's going on. And I gradually changed my position with the new information that I got. Yeah. But a lot of people aren't willing to change their, their viewpoint, regardless of what information comes along. Yeah, my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with facts. <laughs> I like that. That should be a poster. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's where I saw it. But uh, <laughs> the the fact is that emotions are so much more powerful in convincing people, as mm -hmm. the politicians well know. Right. So what's interesting is that when there is a shift from one worldview to the other, it's nearly always in the direction of the alternative worldview, because once people's eyes are opened, they rarely go back. And mm -hmm. that, to me, is a an indicator that it is a more truthful worldview. Yes, so, I would agree. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know anyone who has changed their viewpoint to a more alternative viewpoint who would would go back to the conventional. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. I guess it's because that's where truth lies. Yeah. So when I came back, as I mentioned in March of of 2020 and noticed what was going on, I smelled a rat big time. Mm -hmm. It just really bothered me. Now, I had been dealing with a fluoride issue, with mm. uh, infant circumcision, mm. uh, a number of unpopular causes, and I knew something about vaccines, but enough that my daughter, who was then 27, uh, who was born underwater at home with a midwife, we didn't vaccinate her, mm -hmm. and yet I had no idea until I stumbled upon, a friend actually sent it to me, a wonderful book that had just been published in July of last year called To Vaccinate or Not to Vaccinate mm -hmm. by a Russian living in Israel, married to a physician. He's a scientist. He, they had a three-year-old daughter, and he was, I think it was before she was three. She was three when I talked to him. He read 2,000 studies wow. in literature and then put this book together with 1,000 references. Oh, my. And it, it was my Bible because I realized how little I really – I knew intuitively, but I had no idea how bad it was. Mm -hmm. So that wonderful book got me on a path to building a simple tool, the Vaccine Facts for Dummies would be a great name for it. Mm -hmm vaccinefacts.info. And now I'm going to uh, talk about this tool, um, okay. all the prelude. When you go to the website, the headline is, are you wondering about COVID-19 vaccines? And a lot of people are. The fact is, we didn't know much about, we knew nothing about them when I started the website, and we still have a lot of questions. Right. But what we do know a lot about, the companies that are making them, their history 
and what the childhood vaccine schedule has done to children. And we can extrapolate on what's likely to happen with these actual vaccines, their gene therapy devices. Mm -hmm. But I I open with the fact that we're going to go into that uh, history and acknowledge the fact that it's an overwhelming task. So what I first do to draw people in is I have 10 true-false statements. They're all provocative statements. uh, And they ask, they check off, is this true or false? And the statements are, the safety and efficacy of vaccines has been unequivocally proven. The next one is, the CDC regularly carries out vaccine safety studies. One would think. Yeah, you'd think. I don't know. Should I give away the answers at this point? (laughs) (laughs) You never know. Let people, yeah, let people take the, I mean, yeah, yeah, let people take them. I actually, I got one wrong only because I, I read it incorrectly. I knew what the, I knew what the correct answer was. Uh, but. Yeah, there's a trick question in there. Uh, number three is vaccine science is openly presented and discussed through free exchange and scientific journals and internet platforms. The fourth one is U.S. childhood vaccination schedule has been tested against inert placebos and the safety of its combinations of vaccines well established over sufficient time periods. Now, see, that's a good one because I think people do actually think that that's true. And yeah. they're not usually inert placebos. There's usually, um, oftentimes, isn't the, um, isn't the adjuvant in them, in the placebo? Yeah. Um, or things uh, that, that, yeah, they're not. It's not inert. It's They use another vaccine, which is just as bad. So yeah. it- it hides all the side effects. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the fifth one is the U.S. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality Control uh, found that vaccine injuries occur in one out of 39 doses, and yet fewer than 1% of all injuries are reported. That's the VAER system. Mm-hmm. Um, which most healthcare professionals don't even know about, yeah, which really surprised me because I did. Yeah. I knew about it as a nurse, but... More and more, I'm watching different different shows, different videos. You know that most people haven't ever heard of it. Yeah. So um, how can they report doctors. to it? Yeah, not even healthcare professionals. So uh, um, the uh, vaccine manufacturers are not legally liable for injuries caused by childhood vaccines and cannot be sued for damages. Mm-hmm. So people don't realize that mm-hmm. uh, is not true. And then we have. Uh, vaccinated children are healthier than unvaccinated children. The number of children with chronic diseases has increased dramatically, actually, in uh, 1994 from 13% to uh, 2007, which is the latest they actually have data on. It went up to 54%. Mm -hmm. Over half of our children are chronically ill, and the, the number is probably even higher, yes, but I think it's so. not being studied. And when you and I were young, you know, and I've talked to different, I've talked to Stephanie Seneff about this and, and others who are are older, um, I never knew of anyone who had ADD or who had chronic illness yeah. or asthma. I never heard of a peanut allergy before. Yeah. And... Uh, then the uh, ninth one is that the pharmaceutical industry has captured federal regulatory and advisory agencies. Hmm. And the the last one, which is the tough one, it was hardest for me, because I thought the polio and tetanus vaccines 
were worthwhile, and I waited until my daughter was five to uh, get them. Mm. But I've since found out that they haven't saved millions of lives, and they're not crucial components of public health. They, um, polio actually was not uh, recognized as a virus until the mid-50s, and they were spraying DDT everywhere in the 40s and early 50s, thinking it was mosquito-borne. Mm-hmm. And the side effect of DDT is a paralysis that you can't distinguish from polio. Right. So then they had the uh, the gall to shift the diagnosis of polio right after the vaccine was introduced from it occurring in a 24-hour period paralysis of lasting 24 hours to having to last multiple weeks, which radically shifted the rate of diagnosis. Ah. It looked like there was, that the vaccine was working. Funny how that seems to have been happening a lot, where, yeah, yeah, the criteria changes to satisfy the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. So once people have been through and checked off their 10 decisions, they get a score and then they get to see all 10 of them on a screen with their the correct answer and then a link where they can it says read why and it will open two or three screens of information that support that answer mm-hmm. and build into the uh, text are links to over 250 different resources so everything is backed up mm-hmm. and they they can spend as long as they like um, exploring what answers they missed or what's true. And then it's summarized with uh, 12 statements, things like, despite widespread claims, vaccines have never been adequately tested for safety. Just to wrap it up, then I uh, offer a table of contents of next steps, like what, what can they do now, uh, the big picture, what they can do to bring more people into the fold, mm-hmm. as well as some resources to get them started down the road to uh, learning more. And then I, and only then do I address the COVID-19 vaccines, and mm-hmm. that's constantly changing. One of the uh, brilliant uh, summaries is the 18 reasons why I won't get the vaccine, and I'll read some of those off when we get there. Okay. Uh, there's a quote of Ben Franklin, Those who would give up essential liberty to attain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Mm -hmm. So, Wise uh, words. And then I have a fascinating, it looks like a a screenshot of a TV show. It says, breaking news. And then in red, the government now recommends that we all wear blindfolds along with our masks and gloves. (laughs) To protect us from seeing what's really going on. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, it's funny and it's not funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> mm-hmm. Now, there's one other quote I'd like to throw in here, George Orwell's. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Mm-hmm. So I have um, a little uh, a printout people can download that lists the 10 statements as well as the website URL and a link to the video of Paul Thomas's interview. It's only 10 minutes long that introduces them. So, um, 
Yeah, uh, why don't you uh, send that to me, email that to me, and I will put it on the podcast website so they can just click on it and go right okay. to it. Then I have in the in the section on the vaccines, there was this wonderful little graphic of a uh, 14 true-false questions. Um, the first one is, are the mRNA vaccines experimental, yes or no? Have they been safety tested on animals? Have they been subjected subject to medium or long-term safety testing? Are the effects reversible? Blah, blah, blah. So it's a great little tool for uh, seeing how inadequate they are. Right. Let me, if I could, I'd like to interject something here because it's sure. uh, pertinent to what you just said. So I mentioned to you when we were talking before the recording that I was watching uh, this week's The High Wire with Del Bigtree. And he had a nurse on uh, from Methodist Hospital. I believe it's Houston. I know it's Texas, but I think it's Houston. And um, she doesn't want to get the jab. In fact, she already had COVID from, uh, you know, the test that All she had. And wow. she also just recently was tested to make sure she was, uh, her immune system was functioning properly and she still had antibodies. So there's absolutely, I mean, even if, even if the shot worked, there's absolutely no reason for her to have it. But they've tried everything, and she said she's got like about, uh, I think she's got 100 and some people as part of her lawsuit now. Um, and she said there's probably another 50 coming on board. But she said that they got a, uh, she showed a screenshot of what the upper levels of the hospital had sent out to everyone. And they said that the vaccine was approved, which is a lie, yeah. um, and that it was rigorously tested. Another I'm like, lie. how can they lie like that? I just, who, doesn't anybody have a conscience? Yeah. And it may get passed down to where uh, the people that write the text haven't actually read it. Uh, yeah. And she said they're seeing more and more reactions to the vaccines in the hospital. And yeah. she also said that they were explicitly told not to chart those as vaccine adverse reactions. Yep. It's uh, it's a criminal conspiracy, and I only hope that it'll get exposed in time to actually uh, turn things around. But it's it's gone a slippery slope. I know, I know. Yeah. I, I I'm holding out that that it enough people will wake up, and there'll be enough lawsuits. I mean, some things just aren't gonna aren't gonna change until the you know they go to court. But. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully, like I said, I, there'll be enough, I hate to, I mean, it sounds so awful, but enough deaths and enough adverse events that people will know someone or have a loved one or a friend or know of someone who's had issues with it and they'll start questioning. It seems mm -hmm. to be the only way. Yeah, the, the real issue is informed consent. And yeah. Oh, that's the other thing she said. Absolutely not. People are definitely not. Yeah. You know, truly informed. I just came, just came back from an action. We have a Marin Freedom Rising group that's just getting going here. Mm -hmm. And a group of us went over, a small group of us, to where they set up a vaccine uh, pop-up in a shopping center. God. With this commercial outfit called Curative something or other. And we tried to get access to what they were telling people whether they were giving informed consent, whether they had three EpiPens available, whether they had anyone trained to deal with anaphylactic shock, 
all of the safety precautions that are standard with administering vaccines, they wouldn't let us in, even though we'd been told in advance or let them know we were coming. We wound up having the sheriff come over. We talked to the head guy. He showed up for the whole county who was obviously naive to the whole issue of informed consent. He thinks they're doing everything just fine. We, we don't have a state of emergency. We've been trying to get the Board of Supervisors to reverse it because there's only one case in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It, uh, that does not sound like a state of emergency. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And they were supposed to review the state of emergency every 60 days, which they haven't done. <laughs> so it's, it's um, just criminal what's going on, the destruction of, to the businesses and yes. death by despair and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, just wrap up the, the last two things I have on the website presently are the 10 steps of fascism of Naomi Wolf's yes. The Great Reset. And uh, for listeners who aren't familiar, I had heard her name. I confused her with Naomi Klein, who mm-hmm. wrote Shock Doctrine. So I found out that they, they are different. Naomi Wolf was known for The Beauty Myth and another book called Vagina that had to do with her experience of having a uh, an injury that led to uh, not having vaginal sensation, which she discovered was connected with her creativity. Uh-huh. And uh, a surgeon was able to fix the damage to her sacrum, and she got the feeling back, and her creativity came back. Anyway, <laughs> cool. Fascinating book. But she, in 2008, she wrote The End of America, a letter of warning to a young patriot. And she described the 10 steps to fascism that were used by Mussolini and Hitler legally to destroy their democracies. And the first one was to invoke a terrifying external and internal threat, to establish secret prisons, to establish a paramilitary force, set up internal surveillance systems, infiltrate and harass citizens groups, arbitrarily detain and release citizens, target key individuals, control the press. Number nine is cast criticism as espionage and dissent as treason. (laughs) And the 10th one, which is what she says we are right now, is suspend the rule of law. And basically, uh, lawsuits are being thrown out because of the emergency status, the state of emergency. And so we basically are living in a tyranny and a dictatorship. And uh, California is one of the worst. Mm-hmm. So pretty bad things are going on in Ontario. Yes, um, I've been hearing. And I, I guess people don't know that Florida and Texas and there are other states that are opening up that have been open, no, you know, no restrictions, and no big deal. They're doing yeah. fine. They're doing better Duh. than California with all of our restrictions. It's, it's crazy. You so, think people would rebel and say, "Look at this! Why are we doing of, this?" Some of us are, but we're uh, being drowned out by the media and the fact that most people. Someone coined the term "sheeple." Yep, the sheeple are. Uh, uh, so the last thing I have on the website is the World Economic Forum's mm-hmm. uh, Great Reset, which, if people don't know it, uh, yeah, you is, know, uh, we haven't talked a lot about that. I mean, I do know about that, of course, but um, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I don't know a lot. Uh, they have these meetings in Davos. It's been around a long time. There's a guy named Klaus Schwab who's the brains behind it. And he enrolled Prince Charlie, um, 
David Attenborough, they did a video making it sound like we need to re do a great reset. We, we need to change the nature of capitalism, which is true. But the direction they want to do it is to destroy demo democracy and have the technocrats rule it. It actually is a third warmed over version of technocracy, which was founded at Columbia University in 1932 when it looked like capitalism was dead in the height of the depression. And Roosevelt saved it basically, so it went underground, but they've been quietly chinking away at, uh, at democracy with uh, the, the next iteration was in the 70s with Zig, Ziggy Brzezinski or whatever, I never oh, can pronounce. Brzezinski, yeah, Brzezinski. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Too many consonants for yeah. my mouth. <laughs> and, uh, he brought Jimmy Carter into it and much of the cabinet. Okay. So they they brought it back with the Trilateral Commission, the three being Japan, uh, the U.S., and Western Europe. Mm -hmm. And Brzezinski got uh, David Rockefeller interested. And Nelson, one of the Rockefellers, I think it was Nelson, funded it. And they, they built this whole uh, dynamic of how to go about it. And that quietly went underground. They've basically succeeded with um, uh, communist China, which is really a technocracy in many of the southeastern Asian countries, mm -hmm. where it's controlled by the, the top brass in, in, under the guise of communism in uh, China. What we're edging towards and what has prevented it from taking over here was the Bill of Rights right. and our democracy, which is it's crumbling. Yes. So, They've, they've repackaged it again as the Great Reset, and it looks wonderful with the ecological and politically correct talk. Oh, I it, used to think it was on the up and up. Yeah, but when you look underneath it, it's uh, a, a total control. So mm -hmm. that's all I've got to say about the website. Um, but I do want to share my experience in Australia which I think is way ahead in some ways and way behind. Or it's, it's, Victoria is becoming a total police state. But where I live uh, near Byron Bay in a little town called Mullumbimby, they chartered a bus. Uh, first of all, I was invited by the president of the local radio station whose board had voted six to one against him to cens censor a woman um, who had talked about vaccines on the air and they moved her to the middle of the night and he decided to break the, the silence. So he brought me on three different shows where we started talking about all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And was in the midst of that, that I learned we had a bus charter. There was a group going up to Brisbane for the uh, worldwide freedom rally. That was March 20th. And we, uh, we rode up about 60 of us on this, double-decker bus uh, painted up in psychedelic colors called the Magic Bus. And it was like a party on wheels. They were playing Bob Dylan and Beatles <laughs> songs. And, you know, I, I was one of the old farts in the back of the bus. But fortunately, there were a lot of young people there. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that we're, it's not just this old folks. And there was a, then a rally in, a, in the downtown uh, botanical gardens with a march through the streets that was estimated at 10,000 people. Oh, wow. Awesome. 10,000 people. Wow. And in uh, Oakland, 30, 70 people showed up. And in Tampa, there were 30. Mm. Uh, this was back in March. 
Now, similarly, over 10,000 in, in Melbourne, uh, Sydney had bad weather and not so many uh, I've heard. Of course, the media ignored all of this, and um, it's completely unknown. I then discovered that there was a group, a local group, uh, that had been going for 10 months, meeting every Sunday uh, secretly. They, it was pretty quiet, uh, and they had 800 members. Oh. And they draw about a hundred of them every week, mm-hmm. and they had a number of projects going that were very impressive. I'm trying to bring them uh, our our local group doing the same thing, and this is in a tiny shire of thirty five thousand people. That's equivalent of a county. Oh. Versus Marin County was a quarter of a million. Uh, we've just barely gotten off the ground. Uh, one woman started it in her living room, and it's grown to four hundred members mm-hmm. meeting here, but. Um, it was impressive how they did this action, and I uh, then gave a talk just before I left Australia, a, a version of what I've just done uh, to a group called the Turning Point Talks, or Politics in the Pub. Mm-hmm. They were doing it in a pub, but then when they got wind of the topic, because I did it along with the founder of the Australian Vaccine Awareness Network, mm-hmm. got a vaxxed bus in Australia traveling around. Uh, who's been physically attacked and, and uh, also openly attacked by members of the government. It's shocking. Jeez. She and I shared the podium uh, the night before I left for the U.S. So it's impressive what's been going on in Australia and uh, also scary what's been going on in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Oh, they shut down the, the Blues Fest, which is one of the biggest outdoor festivals. They canceled it the year before. They had one case show up, which we think was rigged, and they did a one-week lockdown and canceled the Blues Fest, which destroyed a lot of people who rely on their their business for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I then like to read this wonderful line of, uh, of, it's actually uh, just one sentence of Bobby Kennedy's, of, we're on the front lines of the most important battle in history, and it's the battle to save democracy and freedom and human liberty and human dignity from this totalitarian cartel that is trying to rob us simultaneously in every nation of the world of the rights that every human being is born with. Bobby Kennedy's one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Jack, what, what do you suggest people do? Like, you know, I, I'd like to end on something yeah. inspiring, something, you know, call to action. What... What do you suggest? What I'm doing when I and I'm amazed that I missed this group in Australia till nearly the week before I left, but I found a group here that I'm a big part of. I gave my presentation to them last week. I was in the action this morning with the pop-up vaccine van. We're organizing uh, more local groups because the whole county um, we've got uh, 150 people showing up at meetings, so we're trying to break it down to smaller local groups to find other like-minded uh, people and get together and do what you can do. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, prior to this, actually in January, when I couldn't find anyone nearby, I reached out to my few friends. I've lost a lot of friends over this too, yeah, by the way. That's the problem. Me too. Uh, when Naomi Wolf and were on the uh, call together. They they lamented the fact that they were the, 
high, only highly visible progressives who seem to get it. What I we did was start a Zoom meeting every week with uh, there are two other doctors involved in it, PhD in uh, attachment, and some other activists, and it's been our support group, <clears throat> and we all live for that uh, uh, weekly call to both share what we're up to and what our our concerns are, and to realize that we're not alone, mm -hmm. and that's important. When you realize that the, the American Revolution was carried out by a minority of people, there True. were many Tories, and it was the businessmen who were dependent on British imports mm -hmm. that were against it. The Tories outnumbered the, the revolutionaries, and we don't think of that in, in retrospect, but what the old uh, quote of um, Margaret Mead's of it just takes a handful of individuals to change something. So mm -hmm. find those people. You know, Jack, I just thought of something, too, while you were talking, that a good thing to do might be when you were, because you were talking about the pop-up vaccine, yeah. I don't know, whatever you call them, centers or whatever. Is there a place that has, like, a true informed consent sheet? Like, could people, you know, print it up and just go to these pop-up places and hand them to people who are waiting in line? I mean, that would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. We've been trying to put it together. The ones that they have are basically uh, 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 liability releases. They don't really form. Um, the woman I'm working with has actually had one today, and I, I, I'm thinking it would be a good idea to put that on my website and uh, make it available. That's, that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, I would put it on the, on the podcast website for a conversation because mm -hmm. this is going to go up – uh, today's Thursday. It's going to go up this following Sunday. So if you have something, or even after I get it up, I can always add it in. Yeah. Um, I'd love to put that up if you have something. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea that we can spread around. And uh, and yeah. I'll, put, I'll also um, give it to my group so they can put it in the newsletter. Yeah, there's three aspects of conformed, uh, informed consent. And uh, I don't know if you saw on, uh, I think it was last week's, um, High wire the uh, Jim Meehan's explanation of the difference between absolute risk and relative risk that they. Oh I, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why don't you say something about that? Because I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, he showed a graph, and I hadn't gotten it before. They show a graph of the relative risk, which compares the vaccinated. There were eight infections versus there were 160 infections in the placebo, and that's where they get the 95 percent. Right. You, Efficacy. But that's relative risk. What you, if you look at the overall population, this was 21,724 people. Out of that number, eight vaccinated ones got infected and 160 of the placebos. If you compare them, it's 0.76%. Right. So, the so the efficacy risk. is not 95%. No, it's, it's less than 1%. Less than 1%. And then you have, uh, so giving this information, as well as the number needed to treat or number needed to vaccine, vaccinate, which is uh, another metric, it turns out it's 132 people, of which 131 will get no benefit and all the side effects versus the one person who will maybe have uh, lessened symptoms. So that puts it in a 
much different perspective. Right. So, and considering the uh, the majority of people who are getting sick are the ones who have been vaccinated with with the uh, vaccine gel. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to to throw in here that's on okay. my website too, and that is uh, this guy named Tim uh, uses the name Tim Foil. Uh, <laughs> a picture of him wearing a tin foil hat. <laughs> called on the psychology of the conspiracy denier yes first, i've read that that's very good yeah, mm. i like to read his first paragraph why is it that otherwise perfectly intelligent thoughtful and rationally minded people balk at the suggestion that sociopaths are conspiring to manipulate and deceive them and why will they defend this ill-founded position with such vehemence and he goes on to explain why, but uh, I'll leave that up to the <laughs> to viewer. Yeah, but, no, that's a good. And you said you have that on your website. Yeah. Oh, great. So I won't repost it. I'll just, I'll just. So what is your website so people can? It's vaccinefacts.info. And that's the best place to uh, to connect with you. Well, actually, yeah. There's a form you can reach. Uh, I. I originally had myself and all the people that helped me listed, and then we started getting nasty emails, so I I then changed it to a generic description. Mm-hmm. I, I may switch back to putting my name there, but there is a form to reach me. But for listeners, if you've made it this far, <laughs> just uh, number 2 at gmail.com is a direct email. Travis, and you mean like... The number two or the number symbol and two? No number sign, just the two. Okay, and it's at Gmail? Yeah, somebody got there before me, so I had to be number two. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jack, Dr. Jack Travis, for you know all the work that you've done, for sticking with it and educating people and... You know, it's, I mean, there's so many, I just, I, I'm, I'm, my boggles my mind that there are really tens of thousands of doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, um, who are standing up at the risk of their income, their jobs, the risk of their safety for themselves and their family, and more and more are standing up and saying, this isn't right and speaking out. And it just boggles my mind that people aren't questioning like, Wow, wouldn't you, aren't I? I should be curious about why all these people aren't uh, going along with the mainstream narrative, and they're you know they're they're taking a different tactic. You'd think they'd you know want to know about that, and so it takes people like you to stand up, and you know hopefully more and more people will just keep standing up. Well, and the the statistics at the CDC and the other government agencies were hardly more than half have gotten the vaccine right they know what's going on right so we should uh, definitely be smelling the rat yes yes and this nurse that Dell interviewed today, she was saying how as as things are progressing, more and more healthcare professionals are coming up to her and congratulating her and thanking mm-hmm. her for standing up and doing what she's doing. And more and more of them are starting to stand up and speak um, because a lot of, I think there are a lot of healthcare professionals that aren't because they're afraid of losing their job. They, they need yeah. their job. And so they're not speaking out. Yeah. It's uh, the tide is turning, and I think uh, truth will prevail. It just uh, it has the, to. <laughs> the, the truth uh, will um, set you free, but first it may piss you off. 
I like that. Did you make that up or have you heard that somewhere? Oh, that's a, a famous one. The uh, various uh, uh, verbs for what it will do to you, uh, annoy you, uh, whatever. I think it actually was credited to uh, Samuel Clemens, uh, Mark Twain. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. But uh, <laughs> awesome. I can't remember that one. Well, when I interviewed Jennifer Margulis, I don't, I, if I recall, she wasn't sure who the quote was from, but it was something about um, not to be afraid of having an open mind. Your brain won't fall out. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I love that. That's a great way to end. Well, I want to say, remind that the, uh, that the currency of wellness is connection and it's about connection. And we've been the most disconnected ever in the, this last year that, you know, America is the world's largest experiment in loneliness mm-hmm. and we've just been put to the test. So it's connections that you're creating and I'm creating and our, our newfound connection. Yes. It'll keep us sane. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll, we'll keep spreading it out and, um, and just know that on, that we're making a difference. Yes. Great. Thank you. The podcast website, everyone, for those who don't know yet, is realjanine.com. And once again, because it's an odd spelling, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. You can go to your favorite podcast provider if you'd like to subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine so you don't miss any of these wonderful, amazing conversations. And if you prefer video slideshows, you will find them on YouTube and now BitChute. Ever since my conversation with Dr. Susharit Bhakti, I've been banned from YouTube. They're still up there, but I can't post anymore. So the rest are on BitChute. Just search Keeping It Real with Janine. Do you know someone who enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jack Travis? I'm sure you do. Please help out, share with friends and friends and family, and especially for those whose minds are still open. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well. <music>